This episode contains sensitive content, parental discretion advised. Hello, welcome to another episode of Gospel Gal. I am Marissa Namir, Gospel Gal. In today's episode, I'll be joined by my co-host, Joy Dudley, as well as my friend, Jennifer Moody. We will be discussing the topic of the purity culture, its effects, and how the gospel better addresses the issues of sexuality in the Christian life. There was a motivational speaker who spoke about purity and how important purity was. And in the midst of that, with tears rolling down people's faces, they handed out these contracts. I promise that I will save my purity for my partner. I will not have sex before marriage. Uh, I'm making this commitment today and I will hold to it, you know, for the rest of my life. As a young person, I was confused (laughs) and wanted so badly to be good and wanted so badly to please God and to be acceptable in my community with my leaders looking over my shoulder and moreover my peers sitting right next to me signing their contracts, I signed the pledge. That was Linda K. Klein, who was interviewed by the New York Times with regard to her experience in the purity culture. And I just want to say welcome to Jennifer. Would like you just to talk about your experience, just giving maybe a brief definition of what the purity culture is. I grew up in the midst of purity culture in the 90s, early 2000s in the independent fundamental Baptist church. So the more I've talked about this, I realized that this is not something that is confined to a denomination. I have talked to many people in, I mean, Roman Catholicism, Lutheran, Reformed, Pentecostal, it doesn't really matter. It just kind of seems to be something that the church in general tried to push back against the sexual revolution and purity culture was born. So to define it, it is the idea that your virginity equals your purity. So, and and your purity can be lost. So the goal is to save your purity, your virginity for marriage, which I want to emphasize is not wrong. That is a good thing that is biblical. Wait to have sex until marriage. However, where they went wrong was making that an idol. If you did lose your virginity, you were dirty. You were used up. Oftentimes during purity talks, at least in my experience, was during like ladies conferences um, because we just didn't talk about sex in mixed company. So at ladies conferences, they would discuss this amongst the young people and they always had illustrations to go with it. Um, One of the most famous is having a rose and they would say this rose represents you or your purity. And they would pass it around the room and they would tell all of us to touch it, smell it, take a puddle, just all around mutilate this rose. And at the end, the teacher would say, now look at this mutilated, demolished, sad looking rose. No boy is going to want to take this rose home to their mom. There were other illustrations such as, you know, 
used up chewing gum, passing around a glass and having you spit in it. One that also stuck out to me was having a construction paper heart. And we would pass that around the room, each of us taking a piece. And that represented, you know, your your emotional purity. If you had crushes or you dated around, you were giving a piece of your heart to each of those people. And then what you had left was what you had to give your husband. That teaching very much taught that virginity was your highest prize, what you were valuable for. So when you got married, you weren't giving who you are, you were giving your virginity to your husband. Um, And if you did not have that to give, well, then you were less, you had less to give. It taught that girls were the gatekeepers and that included modesty. You know, we had to dress in a certain way to keep men from stumbling. And it taught that um, marriage was for sex. Sex was the ultimate goal of marriage. We, you know, we waited all this time. Now we're married. Now we get to have sex. And that is what marriage was for. Yes, there was companionship, but man, these poor guys, they waited so long for this and you are their only outlet. So therefore that was kind of what marriage was seen as. And then now on the other side, being married, I see that many of the marriage books show the logical after effects of that. And that continues into marriage of, well, now you're married, you are the husband's only outlet for sex. Therefore, you must be readily available at all times. So just in general, it was very sex focused, not at all gospel focused. I believe that it taught a false gospel, equivocating purity with your body, not your heart. Therefore, one could make it to their marriage bed a virgin. However, what if they had been involved in pornography or just general lust? Somehow that didn't seem to matter. So only what happened to your body mattered. It did not see people as made in the image of God. It saw people as sexual objects to be used or often discarded. If you had been used, if you did not have that virginity to bring. And often talking to people, I have found that that was very, very damaging to those who had been abused, had their virginity taken by force. That was crushing to them. And often that led them to a promiscuous lifestyle because it's already been taken. I'm already no good. Why do I need to continue to guard my sexuality for my husband when I'm already used? And that was very, very hurtful and damaging to a lot of people that I know personally. Purity culture was a false gospel in that it defined purity as anything other than being washed and clothed in the blood of It was very works-based, focusing on what you do or don't do. Well, it's obviously legalism. Mm -hmm. It is a covenant of works 
mm-hmm. because it is do this and live or do this and die basically. Exactly. Yeah. So therefore it is gospel less. It's, yes. not, it's not just gospel light, it's gospel less. And it gives no hope to the hearer except in their own purity. Exactly. Yep. My next point was to talk about the prosperity gospel, the idea that if you do this, you know, save yourself for marriage, you will have a happy marriage, very formula driven, A plus B will see, yes, do this and live. It makes sex the prize. I just had an observation about being a covenant of works. I did spend some time reading some of the old purity culture authors that had an influence on me in my early 20s. And they did mention what happens if you did stumble and their solution was more law, (laughs) more law and not, not more gospel. Yeah, I agree. Very law focused. Mm -hmm. This is triggering for me a little bit, (laughs) to be honest with you, because I was pre purity culture, but we were still enmeshed in it. And you might speak to this later. You mentioned Basically, women are the gatekeepers. And I think a message that I received growing up is women or teenage girls are temptresses. Yes. That we are to be feared because, you know, if we present ourselves in a certain way or do certain things, then we could be the ruin of a man. Yes. Something that as I was preparing all of this, and you said that you had kind of come in before it was called purity culture. The more I'm studying this, the more I find equivocation between purity culture and patriarchy. They're very, very closely linked. I'm unsure that you could really have purity culture without patriarchy in there. This is definitely not a new thing. The other thing that I do want to say, and this is kind of a little bit tangential, but I have to say it, not only did I grow up in it, but then I put my kids through it. Mm. When purity culture was actually a thing, As, again, I still didn't have a term for it, sure. but that's definitely what it was. And that's one of the things as a mother that I wish I could undo. Yeah. Especially for our oldest child, there was a lot of emphasis on maintaining your purity because that's a gift that you have to give to your husband. That was something that we were constantly talking to her about. And I think it was totally counterproductive. I think it's kind of throwing gas on a fire. When you persistently saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, make sure you're not doing that. How is this going to affect X, Y, and Z? Then it's almost like a stumbling block. So I just publicly am apologizing. It grieves my heart that this is something that we were teaching our children. And I'm thankful to be a young mother. My children are young. And so I am seeking out resources and praying through this so hard that I, I don't make that same mistake with my children. I think at this point, we are doing better. We've not made sexist a shameful topic. My oldest is only 11, but my husband's already had that talk with him. And we are very open about just our bodies and how they work and that they are gods and trying to work through that. So, so to talk about the purity culture's effect on me personally. For me, it made me very uncomfortable around men, even my family. So my uncles, my cousins, everyone, it just always made me feel like they were seeing everyone, every man was seeing me in a lustful manner. 
made me really self-conscious about how I dressed. If I bent over, pick up something. So I learned how to do the kneeling. <laughs> like you go down like a princess. So you're not bending. It just made me really uncomfortable. Always looking at men as if they had an ulterior motive to talk to me, to be around me, anything. And then with that, after I had gotten married, it made me unable to have female friendships because I was always afraid that my husband was seeing them in a lustful manner, like that he would end up liking them more than me or comparing me. And so I had a deep distrust for every woman in my life. And it didn't matter if I was related to them or knew them, if they were close. It made me unable to even watch a simple movie with my husband without just having awful thoughts and assumptions about what he was thinking. And I was always comparing myself to everyone. Personally, growing up, I had a purity ring. I pledged my purity to my father. And at one point, I gave it to him. Um, I had kissed a boy. And so I, in an act of weird defiance, I took my ring off and gave it to my dad. Like, I don't deserve this anymore. At the age of 21, I was dating my now husband and we did not save sex for marriage. When my parents found out, my dad looked at me and said, so when is the wedding? And he had Brad come to the house there and asked him the same question. What are your intentions? And, you know, Brad said, well, I I plan on marrying her. We had already been planning on getting married. And my dad said, okay, then pick a date. And we were married two months later. During the wedding planning time, I saw many red flags that made me scared of marrying Brad. He planned every part of the wedding. He went and picked out my dress with his mom and said, this is what you're wearing. He told me how to wear my hair. He picked out my jewelry. Every detail he was involved in. And if I tried to do anything without him, it was bad. My family saw the red flags But because we had had sex, then there just was no option. There was, it wasn't even really on the table that I don't marry this person. And I believed strongly that no one else would take. I was now damaged. And so if I didn't marry Brad, the only other type of man that would take me was someone who would be ungodly because no godly man would want a non-virgin. So I felt kind of trapped. At one point, I actually told Brad, I can't do this. I can't marry you. I'm breaking up with you. And he laughed and he was like, yeah, right, whatever. And I mean, obviously, I went through with it. My father would not give me away at the wedding. I was not allowed to wear white. I had to add a color. I had blue added to my dress. And we were not allowed anyone other than immediate family at the wedding. I kind of went into marriage already feeling defeated. There was a lot of abuse that happened in my marriage. And I honestly endured it because I felt like this was God punishing me for not staying pure before I got married. This was now my lot in life. I had made my bed and had to sleep in it. After being married 
think it was around five years. I had had our first child. He was about a year and a half. Things were pretty bad in our marriage. I was very much struggling. The abuse had made me build walls and distance myself emotionally from my husband. I was on the verge of an affair. I didn't even care who it was with. I just was at this point where I don't want to be with him, but I didn't feel like I could divorce him. My husband would constantly rid me about my weight. He would just make awful comments. He would flirt with other people in front of me, but I wasn't really allowed to be upset about that because it wasn't personal. Just lots of different things. He was emotionally, verbally, sexually, physically, financially abusive, but I felt like I needed to endure that because I had been raised with the permanent view of marriage. Really leaving wasn't even an option for me. I believe it was around five or six years into our marriage. We were just at a place where I actually looked at my husband and I said, I wish that you seeing a prostitute was not socially unacceptable because I wish I could just send you there and I'll be your maid, your nanny. I'll take care of everything here, but I wish that I could like source you out. (laughs) And he made a recommendation. He was like, hey, how about if we have an open marriage? That way we can see other people, but it's not behind each other's back. And at that time in our marriage, I felt like it was my job to keep him sexually satisfied. And obviously I wasn't therefore allowing this in a weird twisted way made sense. And I said, yes. And so for nine months, we had an open marriage and we saw other people. During that time, I prayed and prayed and prayed that he would find someone that he liked better and that he would leave me. And that would redeem me. That would make me not look bad. If he left me, people would have pity on me rather than if I left him, I would be seen as the bad guy. I was really, really hoping that that's what would happen. And actually the opposite happened through being with other people, realized how much he loved me, how much he had been taking for granted. And during that time, God really worked in his heart and he just couldn't do it anymore. He knew it was wrong. And he was feeling incredible conviction. And he came to me and said, I I can't do this anymore. And I want you to stop. And at the time, I looked at him and I said, I am being treated better by strangers than you. So no. (laughs) He lovingly said, I understand. And I'm not going to make you stop. I love you. And I can't see anyone else anymore. I will be here when you're ready. That broke down a wall. I ended it with the other men that I had been seeing at the time. And I stayed. And honestly, I stayed for selfish reasons. Um, My husband had asked for a second chance. And he had had many, many chances um, where he had apologized for his actions and ended up reverting back to the same old patterns. So in my mind, I felt like, okay, I'm doing this, but I know it's not going to last. So this will make me look even better. And 
make him look even worse. So when this all blows up, it will be more obvious who's really the bad guy. I stayed because at the time I had actually told him that I was leaving. I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't love him. The very sight of him revolted me. I didn't want to stay with him. And at that time, I was ready to walk away from God, from the church, from everything. Because in my mind, it was God that was making me be in this awful situation. It was the belief that this was God's punishment. And I kept feeling like if this is the God that I'm serving, I don't want anything to do with him. I was I was ready to walk away from the church, from everything. And I was wanting to move away from anyone who knew me, anyone who could know that I had once claimed to be a Christian. And I was planning on just living a lascivious lifestyle and running away. But watching my husband go from that abusive man the man who had told me that he wanted to be with other people because he had a type and I wasn't it watching him choose to leave that for me. But because he knew that it was wrong and against God, I don't know. It just, it made me curious, I guess. And I, I was watching him change and it was little changes, but it was changes that he hadn't previously made. And so I, I was just watching him and I was watching him seek God. Jennifer, do you know if he was listening to something or reading something or somebody influenced him? At that time? No, no, there was just the Holy Spirit really working on him. So kind of just to catch up to where we are right now, how do you think that the purity culture that you came from as teenagers led or tied to what you are currently experiencing in your marriage? I think I had mentioned purity culture taught that marriage was for sex. Sex was the ultimate goal. So our entire marriage was built on our physical relationship. We had equivocated intimacy with our physical coming together as man and wife. And it made me be the only object to release any sexual tension from my husband. So it just made sex very selfish on my husband's part. And he will wholeheartedly tell you that during the first seven, eight, ten years of our marriage, sex was very selfish for him. It was all about what he could take. So tying it all in, because... I had been taught that sex was for him. It was my one job to keep my husband sexually satisfied. I had obviously failed at that. Therefore, allowing the open marriage just kind of in a, my twisted mind just completely made sense. It was part of my job to allow him to do this. I am so thankful now that through the power of the gospel, my husband has completely changed and he is no longer selfish. He is gentle and kind and loving, an amazing husband and father. And I am very, very thankful to be doing life with him now. Talk to us about the transition because you said there was something that switched in him and the process of you both having an open marriage that he asked you to stop and that you were just resistant to that at that point. And something was happening in him 
that made him realize that he did not want this anymore. Was there anything else that happened down the line that you can think of that impacted him to the point where it was not just a passing desire, more consistently a repentance, a turning towards Christ and away from the sin? It was very subtle. I think in talking to him, he came to a place where he realized, wow, everything that we just did is me without Christ. And it was unfulfilling. <laughs> um, it did not give him the joy, the, the fulfillment that he expected. He went into being with other people looking for fulfillment. You know, he had only ever been with me. He felt like he was missing out on something. And by being in the open marriage, he realized, yeah, no, this is actually really depressing. He just realized that this was how he felt when he was running from God, when he was turning from God. And he hated, he hated it. During the entire time that we were open, he was incredibly miserable. And I think having that feeling fed his desire for forsaking Christ because he knew how it felt to be running from him. So that's a good segue kind of talk about why the gospel is a better motivation than the purity culture is to maintain sexual purity and to think in a healthy way about sexuality. A few years after we had closed our marriage and I had had another child I was still really struggling in my marriage. There was a lot of trauma. I had actually read an article on the crucifixion of Christ, the medical side of it. So it was very, very detailed in what Christ experienced physically being crucified. And it really impacted me. And then I heard a song by a Christian rapper called Start Over. And I don't have the lyrics in front of me right now, but it just talks about how Christ carried the cross on his shoulders so that you could start over. And I think I had come to a place where I felt like I had sinned so greatly that God wouldn't want me. I was the lost cause to that song. Like, no, it doesn't matter what I've done. The cross paid for it. That was like a a turning point in my life where I realized salvation is not because of anything that I've done. I mean, I grew up memorizing Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, like grace, are you saved through faith? I mean, I knew it in my head, but at some point that just clicked that it really isn't by works that I'm saved. It's taken years of just studying the gospel. We ended up having to leave the church that we were in because we realized that they were not teaching gospel. Um, They were teaching works. We went to a different Baptist church where the, the pastor taught gospel and we learned and grew so much understanding the gospel calls us to be whole, not behave. Um, we we can see the finished work of Christ and rest in that. Over the last seven years, we have grown deeply in our understanding of the gospel through 
podcasts, see resources, especially over the last few years that have deeply impacted us have been Theocast and John Fonville, his message series. Do you not know the series on First Corinthians 6 really, really impacted us for good to see sexuality in light of the gospel. Reading Sex in a Broken World by Paul Tripp was deeply impactful. I think even over the last few years, just reading books like The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson and Knowing God by J.I. Packer that have nothing to do with sexuality or purity culture, but simply giving gospel and Christ has impacted our marriage deeply. But on the topic of purity culture, the book Talking Back to Purity Culture by Rachel Welcher, The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Ray Gregoire are resources that I would highly recommend. We have been, as I said, studying the gospel. It has helped me in understanding my identity in Christ. My identity is in nothing other than in Christ, not as a wife, not as a virgin, not as a mother, but simply as a child of God. Through the gospel, I have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I had always believed that you're saved, can't go to hell anymore, but you can fall under the condemnation of Christ. If you sin, he looks at you disprovingly with disdain, or you can still be punished by God. So understanding the gospel has given me rest and peace in knowing that Christ Jesus took the punishment for my sin and I cannot anymore be punished for that. I am a child of God. Now, there are consequences for my sin, earthly consequences. My open marriage, we've had a lot of trauma that we've had to work through. And so the consequences have been a lot of of healing, but that has nothing to do with my standing before Christ. Understanding that Christ is faithful for me. So my faithfulness to him doesn't condemn me when I am unfaithful, because that is not an if, that is a when. I am unfaithful all the time, but Christ is faithful for me. Understanding that my works before salvation earned me nothing. They were like dirty bags. But my works after salvation also earned me nothing. (laughs) Now, that doesn't negate our good works, but they are not earning me favor with God or unfavor. You know, Christ does not turn his face away from me. That was really, really comforting. Something that I had not previously really comprehended or understood. Coming to the place where, you know, knowing that the purity culture is only law without gospel. As you had said, it is gospel-less. By simply preaching gospel, then we are unable to continue the the teachings of the purity culture. You can't have purity culture where you are teaching gospel. You just can't go together. The purity culture makes us the hero of our story instead of Christ. It gives you something that you can do and achieve. Whereas understanding the gospel, 
you know that there is nothing that you can achieve on your own apart from Christ. I like what you said. Purity culture makes you the hero of your story. At the same time, it can make you the villain in your story. Yeah. So, yeah. Or, and worthless to whoever it is that you end up married to. Yeah, exactly. Just understanding my position in Christ because of Christ, because of, of the gospel, because of looking at the finished work of Christ for me, for my husband. We had read books I'm not necessarily going to recommend on marriage that didn't really have a lot of impact on us. It has been through listening to podcasts, listening to messages, reading books on the gospel that has changed our life, our marriage, and made my husband someone that I wouldn't have previously recognized. And I think he would say the same about me. Thanks be to God. I just want to address this for a minute. because You know, I work a lot with women and men. Usually it seems to be women, but I, I've worked with men too, who have been in not necessarily the purity culture, but in domestic violence situations and abuse situations. And a lot of times people will ask me that question, like, is there any hope for anybody that's an abuser? But clearly your scenario is a situation where God, you know, they say divine intervention. Well, yes, it was. It was divine intervention. Your husband received the gospel. He showed a change in his own heart and behavior over an extended period of time. The pattern of his life changed. And because of that, I think he probably was instrumental in teaching you the same things. The gospel is a power of God unto salvation. And I think when we hear that and we believe that, that doesn't just mean one time where you're like, okay, Lord, thank you for providing me the forgiveness of sins coming into my heart, however you want to put it. That's ongoing. Our salvation is ongoing throughout our life until we meet him face to face. And that is something that was very instrumental in my life was watching my husband repent continually. It had previously been believed by both of us that, you know, when he said he was sorry for the abuse, that that was a one and done thing. And then I kept having PTSD flashbacks, a lot of anxiety triggers, and I I couldn't understand what was happening. He didn't know what was happening. And he was like, you're not forgiving me, <laughs> even though I had just because of how we had been raised to view forgiveness and repentance, that it was a one-time thing. Then as we grew in the knowledge of the gospel, we understood, yes, Christians repent daily. And to watch him actually do that as things would come up, he would say something that would trigger me. He began to recognize those triggers and immediately would, oh, Jennifer, I am, I'm really sorry. And then we would talk about how I was feeling now, but also why I was feeling that it triggered something from the past. And then he would apologize again for what had happened in the past And watching him take ownership of his actions, his attitude, and then repent, then do better, has been increasingly beneficial for me in my understanding of the gospel. Watching how that has changed his life, how he interacts with me, how he interacts with our children, just been incredible. 
not something I ever, ever thought I would see. My anniversary is December 13th. So at the time of recording, it is a few days away and we will be married for 14 years. And I honestly never thought that I would see this day. Well, again, I just have to say thanks be to God for that. It's wonderful. And I know you've written your story and posted it on social media. You have a blog. What's your blog called? My blog is Purely and Graciously His. I've written our story out. Um, I've written about the purity culture. I've written about everything that we've talked about today. And I think I honestly do better at writing than I do at speaking. So. So, well, you'll get practice if you keep doing uh, podcasting. It's fun. But, but, um, so it's purely and graciously his. Yes. Is it Blogspot? Yes. Okay. And Jennifer Moody, if anybody's looking for that. But thank you for being vulnerable. And I hope it's been beneficial for you too. I think telling your story sometimes is healing. And I want to just leave you with a little bit of encouragement as well. Because sometimes our accuser is still present, but just to remind you of what you said earlier, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's all washed away. Our identity, body, soul, and spirit are washed First Corinthians, you are washed and we are no longer identified in our sin. Thanks be to God. He's washed it all away by his life, death, burial and resurrection. And he sent a spirit to make us new creatures. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. At the beginning of this episode, I played a clip from Linda K. Klein. And in the midst of that, with tears rolling down people's faces, they handed out these contracts. I promise that I will save my purity for my partner. I will not have sex before marriage. Uh, I'm making this commitment today and I will hold to it, you know, for the rest of my life. As a young person, I was confused (laughs) and wanted so badly to be good and wanted so badly to please God and to be acceptable in my community. The desire to do good and to be good was a constant theme that we heard throughout today's episode. There is no righteousness outside of the righteousness that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. He has provided all the righteousness that we need in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection alone. We have nothing to add to that. We can cling to the hope that is given to us in the gospel. But listen to these words from the Heidelberg Catechism. This is question 60. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments and never kept any of them and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if I only accept this gift with a believing heart. So if you're looking for righteousness, you will only be left with bitterness and disappointment, and it may spiral into a vicious cycle of sin, as we heard Jennifer discussed today. Look to Christ. Keep your hope in him. He does not disappoint. Thank you for joining another episode of Gospel Gal. We hope that this 
episode has been a gospel blessing to you and that you will like, subscribe, and share these episodes so that your neighbors will hear the message of Christ for them as well. And as always, we bid you gospel blessings.